0: Hi, McKay.
1: Welcome to another episode of Great Perhaps. Kyle, how are you feeling about our journey into the Great Perhaps?
0: Overall, I am feeling pleasant. I am feeling high energy, and I'm trying to use the language of Mark Brackett and permission to feel, but I am hopeful, I'm optimistic, and I'm finding a lot of pleasure in exercising this part of my brain and our collective brains and I'm really enjoying sharing this space and kind of getting to create together. So overall I'm really enjoying it. What about you?
1: Here, here. That was well said. Uh, I'm feeling great other than I can't ever figure out how close or far away from the microphone I should be and it uh, messes with my controlling brain but I'm adapting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: To the listener, I regularly am moving the mic away from McKay and her neck and head continue to come down to meet the microphone. So we desperately need this second microphone we keep talking about, but it is yet to manifest.
1: When we start making the big bucks, when the advertising starts to roll and that's when we'll get the microphone, maybe we'll just call ourselves great perhaps colon second mic to come.
0: I wish we had an advertisement to enter here. This segment so far has been brought to you by State Farm.
1: <laughs> we wouldn't accept a State Farm advertisement.
0: <laughs> what company do you think we most would most enjoy advertising for?
1: I'm going to contemplate this. I'll put it on the back burner while we go because I want my answer to be all that it should be because that's a great question. So why don't we turn our attention to our focus of today? Which is, why YYA Why Kyle?
0: <laughs> I have been trying to come up with an appropriate way to approach this question.
1: Which maybe unpack the question. Let's start there.
0: Which is precisely what I was going to try and say. Which I think you said more succinctly than I would have, which is always a good thing. I think the significance of the question for me personally, and I assume you would agree with me, is that the reason it's an important question and the value of the question is seen in the fact that it is really difficult to answer. And it's kind of a contested space to drift into what might be an appropriate answer. And there's also a lot of passion, I think, when you get into... The answers of others and then i think for us we experience a lot of passion in this in this space would you agree with that we're both smirking
1: i was gonna say because it's actually revealing a really interesting i think dichotomy in our partnership is you are the analytical one <laughs> you love the theory conversations and the philosophy and i do too but they're secondary to the passion conversations which i think are secondary to you is Part of this is I just got fired up about this question. So I would say more than trying to unpack or that it's a difficult question to answer, I'm drawn to it because not to be dramatic, but this is like oh, my lifeblood. <laughs> That's dramatic.
0: <laughs> Can I share what brought us to recording in the last 30 minutes?
1: Sure. This is meant to be a podcast about our relationship too, like our relationship conversation. So Go.
0: So I came home from having lunch with a friend and stopping by the grocery.
1: All of which was done responsibly with a mask and socially distancing, there we go.
0: And I came home and McKay jumped at my shoulders and grasped me and shook me and said at a loud volume that I can't match or recreate or even imitate, we have to record, we have to record, are you ready? and then proceeded to tell me for about 30 minutes what we were going to record about. And that is what has brought us here. And it is wonderful and a joy to watch.
1: I didn't say this is what we're going to record. I shared all the things that I was reading and thinking and questions that were building up to this level of energy that I wanted to record.
0: And I love it. I absolutely love it. And so do you want to try and kind of dig in a little bit um, after kind of laying a little bit of context that This can be quite encompassing and comprehensive of a conversation, and it's partly due to the nature of the conversation and kind of the passion that you might bring and the level of analysis that I'm trying to bring. I'll share that for the last 30 minutes of you talking about what we could talk about. I expressed no emotion because I went so deep into my information gathering and analytical mind that I don't think I responded to anything you said because I was using every ounce of energy I had to process and analyze as quickly as possible. This is
1: true. There was no facial expression. So listeners, you are missing out nothing on what Kyle is giving because his face is often a blank slate.
0: Indeed. And so why a? Where do you think is a good place to start?
1: I was thinking part of our draw to this was our last couple conversations veered into responsibility of education and YA, and that seemed to be missing the feeling and the draw and all of the passion and emotion I feel about YA, and I think you do too, though your face doesn't reveal it, (laughs) and I wanted to go back and look into the conversations and the arguments for and against YA, how we view young people, and kind of dig into both more of our, like, interior thoughts about those subjects.
0: I totally feel that and so what feels like a good first thing to talk about I, th- I think if if you're trying to convey what you believe is an appropriate answer or an earnest and authentic answer
1: though this goes against the debate speech training I received as a youngin I want to start with the argument that made me the most angry I love it so there is an argument out there held by many. Um the one I'm gonna reference in today's episode is was found in this slate article from 2014 written by Ruth Graham, which I need to point out is also the name of Billy Graham's wife, I believe.
0: Is it the same Ruth Graham?
1: No, if only it was that simple and tidy. She wrote an article essentially not essentially directly saying that adults who read YA should be embarrassed of the fact that they read YA. And that burned me to my core. Why? Because she made the argument that YA serves the function of teaching young readers certain lessons that only young readers need and that they need the motivation to propel past YA interest as they grow up. So rather than just staying in YA world, they need to see adults reading true great literature so that they too can move into the world of true literature. Which, like, what a condescending position, like, what a grab of authority and power to think that you were the great discerner of what is great literature and what isn't.
0: So immediately, that sounds to me like latching on to some constructs and some conceptualizations of a few things, and then exercising that which has been latched on to in just of an just as absolutely as which she latched onto those constructs. So for me, that sounds like a pretty simplistic understanding of what youth is or what young adult is. It also sounds like a really simplistic and domineering understanding of what literature is. And so then kind of like deploying both of those things into the space to make an argument means that it's going to be kind of a simplistic argument. So I think I would call that really simplistic and that is uh, it, entirely against what I think we're trying to explore. Is that true?
1: I agree. And it makes me want to dig into, maybe because I'm, I'm coming with all of these feelings and thoughts I've been having, um, what do you think about what young people are and what literature is?
0: I think you often want me to talk about historical stuff. And it's because it's where I naturally go so I think you want me to be able to talk about what I feel I can talk about
1: no I also want to know about your interior life I want to know what you Kyle Jones think of as young people in literature
0: I guess I'll, I'll use a bit of my personal narrative and my personal journey through young adult to kind of answer that question because I don't know if I can completely separate my answer from me if that makes sense but young adult was not something that was accessible to me truly growing up it wasn't something that was fed to me as like this is going to be good for you this is like who and what you are
1: do you mean young adult literature
0: Yeah. yeah young adult literature and because of that i spent the early part of what we would call adulthood so like college post-college even up until I had already been teaching for like five or six years ignorant of the young adult literary world
1: which is when you read Harry Potter for the first time
0: absolutely and I think part of the reason that is is because I wasn't introduced to it but then the question becomes like well why not what was it in my life and in some ways that might be personal circumstances so I'm apprehensive about making blanket statements about why that was but I think a predominant reason is, is um, I was raised within a sim- similar construct that I think Ruth Graham is kind of operating within, is that this was a young person thing. And even at an early age, that seemed, I think I got messaging that that was bad, that to act like a young person was something that was immature and would not lead to growth and more adult versions of success and achievement. And so I, that's kind of where I go with that immediately.
1: And this brings me to questions I did have about historical context that maybe you can bring into this, looking into your personal past. But how post-World War II, I keep looking at him to make sure that's the right phrase, like 1950s America, how they viewed young people. And I wonder if part of the, the reason you didn't have access to YA literature was because of that, because of your grandparents' kind of position as the true heads of your family and the way that they viewed young people as like training to be adults
0: absolutely training to be adults like that's what youth is for and I think the authority figures in my life growing up often looked at it that way rightly or wrongly I I don't mean that as a judgment I, I don't think I just think it was uh the way to be in uh, suburban, upper-middle-class America, of that that's what high school is for, that's what elementary school is for, and that's what your parents and grandparents and your coaches, they're all there to make you a successful adult as opposed to what I think we're getting towards, and this is maybe where I would like to hear from you, of this more messy, emotional, passionate, feeling space. And not only that, but to have those things be valued just because like just because they are there and there is meaning in that and the adults actually in turn have a lot to learn from that young adult experience as experienced by young adults I don't know if that's exactly what I want to say but it's getting close I think
1: I think it's great you're journeying and I love hearing it all kind of as you are processing it I wonder if part of our discomfort for talking about it is because we know that our parents weren't fully bought into that either, but that was definitely the system that they were raised under. Because I, in all my thinking and processing and asking myself about this question, I went back to The Outsiders, written by S.E. Hinton. You've read The Outsiders? I have, yeah. Did you read that when you were young? I did, yeah. S.E. Hinton's book, The Outsiders, is often kind of marked as the turning point of the creation of a YA market, and it was written in 1967. So right, right when our parents, I'm terrible at remembering dates, that's when they would have been growing up, right?
0: Yeah, they would have been in middle school or high school.
1: So this market was just coming to fruition as they were still experiencing young adolescence and teenagehood. So I think that's why we don't want to be critical is because it's, it's a different conversation nowadays. I want to ask you, do you think that's the purpose of adolescence and young adulthood training to become an adult? Do you, Kyle Jones, believe that? No. (laughs) You paused. You thought. Let me hear what happened in that moment.
0: Do I think the purpose of young adulthood is to train to be a successful adult? I say no because I don't know what any of that means. In 1950s America, I think they knew exactly what that meant. Uh, It would have been very easy for my my grandparents to answer that question in the affirmative because they would have had a very clear image of what a successful American adult would look like. I I do not share that and have been freed up to explore and deconstruct uh, that narrative. And so therefore, the construct of young adult doesn't hold is my answer, I think. How would you answer that? You're asking me a lot of questions.
1: I like it. Um, I will answer, but I keep, I like digging in even more to what you're thinking. Then what is your motivation for being a teacher?
0: Holy smokes. Um.
1: Because I want to say while you're processing and thinking through your answer to that, John Green, beloved John Green, He talks about how we underestimate the emotional depth of teenagers and all that's happening in their life and the things that they understand. But he also has a crash course video, I think, it's crash course, a YouTube video that a teacher I work with has shown to students before about why he believes in education is because one day these people will be voting alongside us and he wants them to be educated, intellectual citizens who are able to engage with the government and society and the world around them. And I think that's interesting because I do think that's that's holding the two parts that are hard to make fit together. So I hear you, and I know that you don't believe that young adulthood is – I know that you don't believe it's a training to be an adult. But then we ask ourselves, well, why are we teachers?
0: I think the activist part of me, and I'm going to borrow words and use words we've said before, it's about – liberation it's about emancipation it's about activism and to keep zooming out it's about cultivating a this is a phrase I use a lot so it rolls off the tongue but I've said it many times cultivating a deafness with complexity and living in a space and existence that is about change as opposed to arrival and so that's the messaging I want to get across to young people and I think part of the reason I take so much energy and find a lot of outlets for my passions and my convictions amongst high schoolers is it's literally a hope of mine that I'm giving space and permission for them to just sit in all of that because I think that gets coached out of us a lot and what I attempt to do is maybe the opposite and I believe I have faith that citizenship in our institutions will m- work better and more justly when they are creative and when they hinge on a belief in change and complexity and so it's that sort of space that I want to be in and I think the youth mind and the youth experience is is like such a ripe landscape for that i guess is how i would say it and it's freaking fun right like being around kids that are feeling and thinking and saying stuff i, I really loved what um i just forgot his name reynolds jason. jason reynolds said in his interview with krista of ask a youth like why something is and they're going to try and get from a to b as quickly as possible And so if you ask a black kid in America, like, what's wrong with America? And he'll be like, oh, white people are racist. Like, what what do you want me to say? Like, that's the problem.
1: And then he even goes on to say that these kids, then he'd be like, well, what do we do? And he'd be like, the kids would say, they just need to stop being racist. (laughs) Uh, And I think that's what you're talking to. I think a lot of that is really, really beautifully said. And it's a lot of why I love being a teacher. More than giving them permission, I love the idea of framing it as life is about change and not arrival. more than giving them permission to experience that, they give me permission to experience that. And I was thinking the exact same thing that some of the most fun days in my memory is hanging out with 11 or 12 year olds, just kind of shooting the shit, talking about things, reading books, joking with each other, and the level of play and the permission that is given to all in the room to just like experiment and play and try things out, is really wonderful
0: that was beautiful and just gave me chills and got me excited and I'll use kind of a general anecdote if I can to explain it what it is for me or if I could distill it down to a moment of a student at one time this is probably five or six years ago she worked so hard and she was so bright and had a real change in how she viewed the world politically and socially uh, in this two year course that I was teaching. And kind of towards the end, she was mad at me, like me for that, that she experienced that change and was literally like pissed off at me and was like, why are you doing this? And like, what that did for me is freed me up because it was her asking me a question I didn't truly have the answer to. And i was like because i don't know how the world works either but i do believe that if we approach it from this space that like it's complex and we should be humble about that that will be better in the long run but that's all i got and so it was exactly what you just say of like it's when i get asked the question that i truly don't have the answer to it's like oh that's feels awesome <laughs> feels really really good so I have talked way more than I thought I was going to. I thought I was going to ask you a bunch of questions about all these things that got you super stoked. So I want to turn it back on you unless you have like one more thing or something.
1: No, I just love it.
0: <laughs> Truly?
1: I do. I really, really love it because I've learned that the best way to catch you and allow you the space to answer these questions yourself is to catch you off guard. So I'm, I'm glad I got to successfully do that.
0: Yeah, you got me all riled up, how my heart was racing.
1: So now it's perfect. So now as I talk, you'll jump in and we can continue the conversation.
0: I'm wondering if a good next place to go is, in addition to Ruth Graham, you have several other notes here about other things that have been written about YYA. And I wonder if you would want to, like, kind of talk through those, or is there another route you want to go right now?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good route. I immediately want to ask you the question rather than answer it but I wonder then why um why all the hate like why do people have such strong opinions about YA fiction in the negative
0: that's a great question it gets to why the kind of what we were saying at the beginning like why do we even have to make an apology for this question or for YA itself why does it have to be defended
1: do you think people find it scary
0: how would you answer it? I'm gonna turn it back. What? You go first on this one.
1: Okay, I'll try. I think some people find it scary, um, and then I think a lot of it is just not being taught to even ask these questions. So maybe that can be my next jumping in point. Is um, Joanna Russ, a woman who wrote a book in 1983 called "How to Suppress Women's Writing." Goes through this beautiful breakdown of when we don't want books written by people. We can only keep them from writing the books by like not teaching them Latin for so long before people start saying, "Why aren't we teaching girls to read and write in Latin?" So then you have to find subtler ways to undercut what is being happened, what is happening. And so I, one thing that I find scary is how deep that conversation has trickled down to people that I really love and admire and respect in their opinions don't even know to wonder why they've been taught. I mean, I would say you talk about this. They don't even wonder why they've been taught that YA is not worth the time. They just believe it. And not to keep referencing Jason Reynolds, but we keep re- re- referencing John Green, so why not Jason Reynolds too? He talks about if we admit that YA works are not half-formed things, that they're fully formed, we have to admit that our young people are fully formed things. And I think that is really scary because young people are saying things that scare a lot of people in the world. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I'm thinking of the the simple pejorative use of that's for kids. Um, I'm thinking historically. Where does that come from? Why is that uh, part of our lexicon? Why would we assert that in a certain space? Literally, like, what are the like social, political, economic, military circumstances that got us to a place at this point in time where we use that phrase? But also, I think it maybe more important to talk about what you're talking about is like, what are we feeling when we say that? Or what is the function of throwing that out into the world? What does it get the? What does the person that says it earn by using that? Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, and I think they earn power. I mean, when I was thinking about why do I have such a deep, deep passion and love and commitment to YA literature, my some of my earliest memories are complete rage at the adults who told me, "Oh, you'll grow out of that." oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a kid. And I still feel it. I still summon it. I still experience it because I look really young. I don't teach at a high school primarily because I still kind of look like a high schooler to a lot of older teachers and older people. And I, 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 it is that affinity, that relationship I have to that experience that drives my defense of young people so wholeheartedly, alongside the whole Mr. Roger idea that I experienced feelings and thoughts in a depth of existence that very few people saw when I was a child and a teenage. And I think that's how all of our young people feel. And we need more and more people to look at them and say, like, your feelings are just as real as my feelings. Your conversations are just worthy as my conversations. Just because you are young does not discredit the thoughts or ideas you are having. So that's my feelings <laughs> about it.
0: It takes me to a place of extending this kind of central tenet, I guess, is that like there's a stigma attached to taking pleasure in that which was made for young people. And so I think of what adult like can watch a clip of Mr. Rogers and not feel something yet what is it that keeps us from admitting that in that it's not until that's like projected into the world through the medium of a documentary about Mr. Rogers that a bunch of adults are allowed to admit in public that they love Mr. Rogers. I think of, I'm going to go even a kind of radical on it and say like Baby Einstein. (laughs) Like who can watch that and not experience like deep pleasure and contentment? Uh, I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but it's for babies and like that being like the radical end of this. Right. Um, So I guess uh, it's helping me uh, develop some language of like what it actually means to kind of blow up those constructs and push through. And, And I think to your point, that's really wonderful of like the power that is granted to a young person when you say when you don't say you'll grow out of this. Like, what an affirmation of their right to be a complex human than to, like, never use that phrase in front of them.
1: Exactly. And not to take the historical and analytical lens from you, but I can't help but view it alongside consumer culture. There are deep arguments to be had about the creation of a YA market was to profit. And the, part of the reason we don't want young people to have power is because they don't have consumer. They don't have the buyer power, right? Like they don't have the ability to spend money the way that their parents do, but they are a large mass of population that are just living in our classrooms, building up these ideas. And so I, I often think of how capitalism is quietly, insidiously fueling these thoughts and these parsing out. I mean, Nobody would tell me that the bell jar is not worth reading, but if the bell jar was published today, it would 100% be relegated to YA genre market. It's an arbitrary, really an arbitrary distinction that didn't exist. I mean, a tree grows in Brooklyn? Come on. You're going to say that that's YA and it's not true literature and that reading that should be embarrassing, I mean,
0: that makes me think it was GIs reading it during World War II because it was cheap to reprint paperbacks that they could send overseas,
1: which is also fascinating that YA and middle grade books are way cheaper. What is the per- I don't understand that one. Explain that one to me, Market.
0: I can't and I am not apt to defend the market or consumerism.
1: But as a teacher who doesn't have very much money, I appreciate it because most of the books I want to buy are super cheap. So keep it up, Market.
0: This is kind of a side conversation, but I guess it just kind of popped into my brain that it's also true then that when we take the evidence that there is a massive consumer market in YA, for instance, uh, JK Rowling being a billionaire, that there's a whole conversation over there about that side of it too, maybe?
1: Maybe we shouldn't mention her name right now um, because there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. They're also showing that more and more the YA market has a significant population that's, I mean, I've seen stuff that like 28% of the market's between 30 and 44. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Let's dig into that part about, um, or maybe use this as kind of, use something you mentioned as a kind of a springboard into something else. But that moment when someone says you'll grow out of this, uh, it says a lot about what that person believes what young people are. And so I'm wondering in some of these other things you've read, is there, are there more nuanced, more generous, more empathetic expressions about what young people are that kind of come across through what what you've gotten excited about today?
1: Um. John Green again <laughs> talks about teenagers understand that what we conclude from questions like "What is the great perhaps?" "What does it mean to suffer?" They conclude that the answer to those questions matters. And John Green says we've given away our immediacy, our power. Hi, email, and we have forgotten to remember that the answer to those questions matter. I think that is a big part and draw of it to me. I think the idea that adolescence is seen as this period of growth and questioning and experimentation that we're supposed to stop. I spend much of my life rebelling against that. Like, that feels absurd. As to what I think why like young adulthood really is about, I don't know was that the question?
0: Yeah and I'm wondering what did A.O. Scott say? I love A.O. Scott and so I want to throw out some A.O. Scott stuff.
1: It was an essay in the New Yorker kind of delineating the death of adulthood I think as he described it. He kind of Walked through the death of the patriarchy and shows like The Sopranos and Mad Men, which see the 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 great man fall down off the pedestal um, or dissemble it. And he talks about how in all of this 1950s America, they saw teenagehood as like limited autonomy, responsibility. Right, you were learning and training, and now it's kind of this unupended freedom and delight and joy. And he kind of understands that, but rejects it as well. as. So I said at the end, he goes through this long paragraph detailing like how we view teenagehood as a playground. And he's all, for it, but get off my lawn, are his two closing lines. So he's kind of getting into the more complex idea of what's happening about how we view teenagehood. And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it helpful? Is it not? and the ways that we're changing and questioning our construction of the teenage-er.
0: Part of what I find so intriguing about that is, again, linked to what Jason Reynolds was talking about and has talked about before, and that being that one of the things he admires most in our young people in America today is that very generally, but also it is true, I believe, to say that they are teaching us a more radical version of empathy, and they are more sympathetic, they are more understanding, and they are also more demanding of us as adults to be more precise in our language, and they are making us uncomfortable, and they are making us ask questions and handle and deal with things that we haven't had to deal with before and it's quite remarkable and lamentable at the same time that we're angry about that or we're upset about that or we're still yelling get off our lawn so that's kind of what I hear A.O. Scott kind of saying the same thing and maybe I wish I could hear his voice and like truly get his tone of like saying I hear you, and it's making me uncomfortable, and I don't know what to do about that. So, maybe like trying to articulate that moment if we're good to give him the benefit of the doubt that like vulnerable moment of I hear you, I see you, but also get on my lawn and leave me alone because I want to go keep doing what I pre- was prepared to do as an adult.
1: I don't have the back reading experience of A.O. Scott that you have. I think you've read everything that man has written nearly in entirety, but I mean, I. I I don't even know what to say in response to that. Like, what a stupid response. I'm sorry. I don't give him the benefit of the doubt. That's the reason we're facing all the shit that we're facing is because too many old white middle-aged, white middle-aged, is white middle-aged? That's what I picture.
0: Yeah, he looks like me.
1: Yeah, so he's like gone through his whole life saying, get off my lawn, and that's the reason we still live in a racist, sexist country that is slowly tearing down everyone but most importantly, the bodies that have had decades and centuries of oppression and abuse and pain. So no, I don't give him the benefit of the doubt. Ayo, Scott, I don't. Fair point.
0: What do you make of my attempt to articulate what Jason Reynolds was saying?
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that. I I think Jason Reynolds is a perfect— I mean, I want to call up Ruth Graham and be like, okay, go read or listen or watch an interview with Jason Reynolds, and you're going to tell me that this brilliant— insightful, thoughtful man is creating art that is lesser than Woman in a Window, which is a thriller I read and loved and great fun, whatever. But I mean, really, you're going to tell me I should be embarrassed by consuming this person's art when he is doing something that is as high reaching as anything else. And so that's where it's frustrating to me because like, Oh, it's how I felt reading both Ruth Graham and A.O. Scott, like, okay, old white people. Okay, boomer. Never thought I'd say that, but I'm saying it. Of like, are you serious? Look at the wor- the way the world's changing. Look at these conversations were happening. And rather than joining them, you're writing them off as not important or something to be embarrassed of or something not worth your time. Like, I'm going to tell you to grow up and grow up to be these people who can appreciate and engage with what's happening because by growing up I don't mean stopping the growth that happens in teenagehood I mean growing up to accept the fact that we are always in that I hate developmental models that tell me I've moved on from identity questions I hope I never move on from identity questions Kyle (laughs) if that means I'm reading books for 12 year olds for the rest of my life well that's who I am (laughs) and it's just it's crazy I'm sorry, I'm getting so emotional, (laughs) but this—I'm just really, really passionate about it. The ALA has a branch that's about YA, and they have a defense of YA literature, and I found it really moving because they describe teenagehood as this period of tension, and I read that, and I was like, I don't—when does that stop? It doesn't stop. We're all in periods of tension. We're all in times of growth, at least I hope. If you're not, we really need to remember to mute your computer next time, Kyle. But if we're not in times of growth, then what are we doing? So that's why I read my literature, is because I want to always be in a period of tension and growth and questioning. And. I've seen stuff about YA's, about pleasure, or escapism, or hope, and I don't think it's about any of those things. I think it's about holding complexity, asking questions, and growing, knowing how to see through, make your way through it all. And there's never an arrival, right? It's always about change, and I find that really compelling.
0: I'm gonna keep going to Jason Reynolds because why not, right? But it's it's maybe helping me start to formulate a little bit more of a specific response to the question of what why ya in a, a side question or kind of a associated question of like okay, so what 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 is ya for? What's it functioning? What's it doing? And. He described in his interview with Krista about the role of the adult in particular right now at this point in time from his perspective being one where the adult can say, because I am older and have had more years on this planet, I have seen fires in different aspects in different places in this world, and I have gleaned some wisdom from those fires. You're going to go out in the world, and you're going to start fires, and you're going to see fires as well. And I can help you see where those are going to be, but most importantly, I can help you process after you've come in contact with that fire, after you've gotten burned. And the role of the adult isn't to keep a child from being burned in that way, or a young adult burned in that way, but to sit there right next to him and say, like, Hold on, we're going to stop right now and take a breath because last time I went down a road like this, I didn't stop and breathe at this exact moment. And this is what happened and share that knowledge and then go right back standing next to him and stand alongside of him and let what happens happen. Uh, And then once it's over saying like, I've been burned before, too, and it sucks and it hurts and it's going to make you angry and you're going to be full of rage and that's all okay. but we're going to do the work so that you can get back out on the street and get burned again. That, like the YA book then acts as the adult in a way or functions as the adult and kind of like is that go-between that can give those young adults space to breathe and to experience in preparation for being burned. Am I making sense?
1: Absolutely. And I agree with all of that maybe minus the age aspect of as you were saying that and I was listening I was thinking about why is this a different question than why books why mm-hmm. stories <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think I agree 100% but I think maybe just putting it in the place more of teachers and students of like books are our teachers they're the ones who with us as we approach the fire as we're in the fire as we come out of the fire and they say look at these ways look at these narratives you can carry as you approach and deal with your own fires. So I love that. I think it's beautiful. And I 100% agree.
0: So what's next? Where where are you in this conversation? Do you feel like you're formulating uh, a sort of platform to stand on where you can proclaim YYA, I got this, or I feel this right now, if you were to try and put it succinctly? Or is it something that, no, I I reject the pressure to put it succinctly. Quit trying to make me bring things full circle, Kyle.
1: I reject the pressure to put it succinctly. It does make me wonder about diving into questions of fraught relationships in YA books, because it's something I still struggle with and ask myself about. If I'm looking for the barbs in YA fiction that I still sometimes struggle with, this is not one of them, right? I read a lot of books, but I read a lot of YA. It's primarily by my reading choices lately so i clearly know why yya for myself and my life as a teacher and a friend is often convincing others of why yya i'm more interested in the question of why do complicated and fraught teenage relationships why do I feel so deeply <laughs> in some of the essays I was reading it's like adult women talk about they read Eleanor and Park this like famous white book and she like rolls her eyes because it's so cringy and I was like oh my god no I like cried and wanted that romance um so maybe that I don't know
0: do you feel like we need to stay with this question more
1: I think it's kind of circling the whole grape perhaps so no, I mean, no and yes. I think we are always in this question.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I, I feel like for me to arrive at a place to where I feel as though I would have a handle on this question, I would need like 20 pages, single space of outward processing and no one wants to read or hear me process like that.
1: No. I would instead say it's my life work. Yeah. YYA is what i'm doing
0: amen do you have more that you want to get to right now
1: i feel happy as a plum truly yeah i thought this was great
0: i was worried i was going to let you down
1: oh you didn't you were wonderful as always
0: good um well yeah I, i think it's fair to say we'll keep circling around this question because it is uh so paramount for us it's imperative that we keep circling around it and keep it kinetic and keep it in motion um if for any other reason then we need to wrap up because mckay is giving me the wrap-up motion
1: you make me sound so not fun
0: i'm sorry i meant that to be playful okay (laughs) so i think we will wrap up this episode there is that true
1: sounds good to me
0: so uh, thanks for listening and leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast
1: bye